Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily. A lot of Everton fans didn't want him. Most Everton fans were unimpressed with him. And very few Everton fans will be mourning the departure of Rafa Benitez at Goodison Park. That is the big talking point on today's Football Social Daily. We're also going to be looking at our heroes and villains of the last few days as we look back on the weekend. And we'll be looking forward to who might be coming and going during the January transfer window. It's been a quiet one so far, relatively. But there's a few bits of juicy gossip on the back page of the paper that are worth considering. Which, of course contains some rumours about who may or may not be coming to Newcastle, as every single day does at the moment <laughs> as well. To talk about that, amongst everything else, Niall McCorn. Hello, Niall. Hello, boys. And Marley Anderson. Are you all right, Marley? Good morning. Yeah, not bad. Have you got yourself a Chris Wood tattoo yet? Uh, yeah, I've got a Kiwi uh, kiwi sleeve tattooed, um, like booked in for next week. Yeah, <laughs> so it... All he's got to do is score as a goal and it's getting inked. Is that the fruit or the bird? Uh, the, the leaf thing. Okay, that's not that's not a kiwi, is it? <laughs> oh, the fern. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's the fern, isn't it? Jesus, yeah. oh, never mind. <laughs> Make sure you check that before you commit. Dropped out of geography pretty quickly in school, so. <laughs> right, we'll be talking not about geography, but about some Newcastle coming and goings later, and also departures at Manchester United and incoming players at Manchester United. There's a fair few players linked with moves in and out of Old Trafford at the moment. But before we do that, let's talk about Everton, because over the weekend, Everton parted company with Rafa Benitez, with the Toffees 16th in the league and six points off the relegation zone. Duncan Ferguson and Leighton Baines are rumoured to be taking temporary charge. That's expected to be announced today. Was it the right call? Was it the correct decision to get rid of Rafa at this point in the season now? Yes, I think it was. I think if you look at the record that he's had since taking over Everton, 
Um, that's enough to put any manager in hot water, let alone one as accomplished as Benitez. And it was always going to be tough to try and win over the Evertonians. I think it's unfair to suggest that Everton fans had it in for him from the start. There were a section of supporters that obviously didn't like Benitez's appointment, given his Liverpool links. He won the Champions League at Anfield, of course, in 2005. And there were those unsavoury banners that were put in and around uh, where he lives outside of his house saying, you know, effectively, Benitez, you're not welcomed at Goodison Park. But he made a really good start to the season. If you remember all the way back in August and September, um, Everton started really well, won their first couple of games and all seemed rosy. And, you know, if you're ever going to get off to a great start in endearing yourself to the Everton fans, that was it. But since then, they've won one Premier League game since September. One of those was against Norwich City and it was defeat to the same club, Norwich City, which effectively has caused Rafa Benitez to lose his job. I totally think this was the right call. We always said on this podcast it was going to be a short-lived thing. It didn't feel like it was ever going to work. And that's not to say that Rafa wasn't the best person for the job because he was certainly the most qualified of the managers available. Ancelotti left to return to Real Madrid and Benitez, in terms of his CV and his pedigree, was the most qualified. But I wonder now if Benitez has done irreparable damage to his reputation. Mm. We've mentioned on this podcast before how Mourinho might be a little bit past it. The game has kind of passed him by. Um, It's overtaken him. That's not to denigrate Jose Mourinho's achievements. He's still one of the best managers we've seen this century and Rafa Benitez is in no doubt the top crop of managers in European football but has this stint at Everton been him biting off more than he can chew has he has he kind of really done some serious damage to his reputation where does he go now does he get another job in the Premier League because you know he takes on an Everton squad who did reasonably well last year under Ancelotti but sort of faltered particularly at home and He was given a small kitty, it has to be said, by the ownership and maybe should have been given more. But there are a few that say that he's not had um, enough time to do what he needs to do with the squad. I understand that. He's been there six months. But, you know, what is it? One win in the last 16 games or something like that? That's just unacceptable. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people defending Rafa Benitez and suggesting that he wasn't given the time he needed. He sold one of the club's best players two days ago to Aston Villa. Um, they've just lost the bottom of the league comprehensively. They were comfortably beaten by Norwich City with a full squad, by the way. Dominic Calvert-Lewin was back, Richarlison was back in the fold, and they got beaten easily by Norwich City. Now, if that's not a sign that things are wrong, then I don't know what is. I think that questions need to be asked, not just of um, Rafa Benitez, and now the question has been answered, he's been sacked, but also of the of the board and the ownership at Everton. I mean... Fahad Mashiri has pumped lots of money into into Everton Football Club. They've got a new stadium on the way. But you have to question his judgment. Was Rafa Benitez the right man for the job? Was it ever going to work? Most of us said no. And six months down the line, we've been proven right. So I think that is the right decision. I think that the record that Rafa Benitez has had in recent months at Everton has warranted his dismissal. I never like saying that a manager deserves to be sacked, but it comes as no real shock that Everton are now looking for a new manager. You've always been a bit of a Rafa Benitez fan, Marley, mainly because of his time at Newcastle. Do you think he's been unlucky with his tenure at Everton? He has struggled with injuries, and yeah, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, etc., have come back into the squad now, but he has been without the spine of the team for most of his tenure. Could another manager have done better than him in the position he was in? Um, yeah, Probably, yeah, because there was... I think there's a lot that Rafa's done at Everton, which is... 
which which suggests he's gonna get a lot of time. Um, and this for me is the reason why Everton are where they are. I think it's it's all down to the board. I think the the, the poor decisions have come from the top. Um, Mashiri decided to be hard nosed and, and back himself when he wanted Benitez. None of the, none of the fans did. Not it wasn't even half and half. It was like ninety nine point nine percent of Everton fans did not want Rafa Benitez, and he's went nah. Trust me, this will work, and it hasn't worked. Um, six months later, they've sacked him. They allowed they backed Rafa over everything. Like they basically give him full reign of the club, which is fine if you're gonna stick with him. But they allowed him to sack the director of football, the scouting manager, the recruitment manager, and even the medical director. And then they've sacked him, and they and they allowed him to sell Luca Dina and James Rodriguez, who they might have got another season out of under another manager. Um, and then they sacked him. Which is just bizarre. Like I don't understand the two decisions. Just don't don't link up at all. Um, so for me, I mean, he, I think he has been unlucky with injuries because when he had everyone at the start of the season, they were doing they were doing pretty well. Um, I think the wheels started to come off when when Watford beat them at Goodison five two. I think it was, and then from then on they've barely won a game. Like, like Niall said, one in sixteen or something like that. Um, and it's all just gone gone the way. That Everton fans, well, I was going to say didn't want it to go, but maybe they did want it to go so they could get rid of him. I'm not sure, but he was ever gone backwards. Everton, not not just under Rafa Benitez over the last six months, however long he's been there, but have they gone backwards over the last five years? Because we seem to be constantly talking about them being ready to take that step up, and it wasn't that long ago you'd class them as a genuine top six team, but they're nowhere near that at the moment. Maybe, um, um. I don't know. Like, there's no guaranteed way of breaking into the top six, and I think it's just sort of shows the gulf. Like, they've how much have they spent? Like half is it half a billion quid? Like five hundred million pound on on transfers over Mashiri's reign, and they are they are the perfect example of a club with loads of money with no no idea how to spend it. And it's clubs like Everton that make me sit there as a Newcastle fan with loads of money, thinking, Christ, I hope we don't do it like them, because you know. It's one thing having money. It's another thing spending money well. If you look at Man City, they spend shitloads of money, but they but they spend it bloody well. They spend it on the best players. They spend it on Laporte and Diaz and Cancelo and Walker to to take over from cliche collar of Otamendi and company. Like that's incredible business because they've got players. They've got um, men in the right positions who make good decisions. Um, Moshiri is just not. That type of guy is a guy who's got the money but doesn't have a clue how to spend it, and that's what other clubs after. That's what other clubs worry about as well because they they almost don't want the money in case they they spend it badly. Like you can't give every club money and they can't all be successful. There's twenty teams in the league and only one can finish first, one second, one third, and so on. So you know, chucking money at something and hoping you get into the top six is not a is not a recipe for for success. And this decision on top of that, uh, over Rafa backing him and backing him and backing him and then firing him is just ridiculous. Who comes in now then, Niall? Duncan Ferguson taking temporary charge. Does he deserve it? Martinez being linked, Lampard being linked, Rooney as well, who's currently, despite their league position, doing a really good job at Derby. Because yeah. you've got to remember they had the points deduction mm. as well. And obviously he's got Everton links. So who comes in for you into that hot seat at Everton? It's hard to tell. And if you think back to when Ancelotti left the club, the favourites for the job were Martinez, were 
uh, Vitor Pereira, I think, who's managing in China, who's a Portuguese coach, and um, Rafa Benitez. And obviously they went for, for Rafa Benitez. And you mentioned Wayne Rooney. He's the bookies' favourite at the moment. Multiple bookmakers have Wayne Rooney as top of the shortlist for new Everton manager. And as you say, doing brilliant things at Derby County. And if you don't keep a close eye on the championship, just look into Derby's situation. Minus 21 points for financial irregularities at the start of the season. They're not even bottom of the championship. They've got 14 points on the table. So you add that together, that's mm. 35 points that they've earned. Now, was was the, um, you know, the financial irregularities, did that have anything to do with the betting, the 32 red thing? I've no idea. I've not really looked into to Derby too much, um, but obviously they've been in administration and that incurs a points penalty of uh, minus nine or minus 10 points because that's what tends to happen to clubs when they go into administration, they lose nine. But it must have been something pretty bad, Marley, for them to get docked 21 mm. points. Um, obviously, yeah. the, the argument was last season they were fighting for survival on the final day of the championship and they managed to stay up. And I think that there are a few arguments as to whether they should have been docked points last season and this season. And instead, it's all come in one big lump this season. That's, I think, my understanding of it. I'm sure there are Derby County supporters listening in. Yeah. But regardless of the situation, to lose 21 points at the start of a season and to then now be on 14, positive 14 points, um, it's a remarkable effort. So they're currently second bottom of the championship. Still work to do to stay up, but he's doing a brilliant job, Wayne Rooney. And much like we've seen Steven Gerrard do at Aston Villa, you know, he could possibly go into Everton and lift the club, being an icon of the game in this country, one of the finest players that this country's ever produced. Whether he's the right choice at this time, I don't know. But, you know, he's taken on a struggling Derby team and managed to get good things out of a reasonable crop of players. And going into Everton, who are struggling, who are now maybe looking over their shoulders, maybe he could be a right choice. Roberto Martinez, again, has been linked a former Everton manager um, from, from 10 or so years ago. I think... Looking back now, it's it's an interesting one because we're in a World Cup year. It's 2022. We talk about Belgium having this last hurrah with the crop of players they've got. Lukaku, De Bruyne, Mertens, etc. Uh, Eden Hazard. These are all names in which are probably going to be playing in their last ever World Cup. The majority of them certainly uh, are going to fade away and the Belgian team isn't going to be as strong. So will the Belgian FA let Martinez leave in a World Cup year? Because we're now into 2022 and we're under a year away from the Qatar World Cup. I think it's really hard to tell who comes in next, um, but surely they must have had something in mind to have sacked Rafa. They, they must have ideas of who they want to talk to. Interestingly enough, a year ago when Ancelotti left the club, David Moyes was linked. There's no chance he'd be leaving West Ham now because of Everton being so poor and West Ham doing so well. So really hard to tell, but there are some interesting names in that in that group that are linked. I think you're giving Everton much too much credit by saying they'll know who they want to talk to next. I think the manner of Benitez's departure. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. The fact that, the, the, as Marley kind of highlighted, the work they've done in this transfer window shows that this was a bit of a snap decision. I think the loss to Norwich was a bit of a shock. I don't think they expected it. And the manner of the loss as well was a bit of a shock and they felt like they had to take action. So I don't think there is a concrete plan, but we'll have to wait and see how long it takes them to bring in a new manager and whether they can do it before the end of the window so that manager can make changes that he wants to the playing staff as well. We will keep you in the loop on Football Social Daily as and when a new boss is in place at Everton. We're going to talk heroes and villains next across the weekend. We'll do it after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Time for Marley and Niall to pick their heroes and villains from a weekend of Premier League action or 75% of a weekend of Premier League action after all the cancellations were taken into place. So who are we going for? I think we'll start with heroes today. Niall, you can go first to give Marley his extra thinking time that he always needs. <laughs> Who's your hero from the weekend? I was hoping that you would... Um that you would go for villains first because in typical me fashion I've got more villains than I do heroes I don't think there's ever been a week (laughs) where that's not been the case Uh, no I'm going to have to go for Leeds United I've given Marcelo Bielsa some stick on this podcast this season because Leeds have been poor but to beat West Ham United in the way they did at the weekend um, to score three past them and to look in control of the game with significant um, missing players in their squad uh, loads of players out with injury I think they even had a couple go down with injury in the first half I'm right if I'm right in thinking Forshaw and Firpo came off in the first 20-25 minutes of the game at London Stadium Um, they were already in the lead at that point and then Lewis Bate came on who's a midfielder who's been playing in their under 23s I've been lucky enough to watch him a couple of times this season been impressed with him he does like to orchestrate things in the middle of the park and I think he did very, very well in midfield. I think he actually ended up getting subbed off again a little bit later on, which is unfortunate for him. But that's not to suggest that he didn't play well. But they certainly do have some exciting young players in the Leeds Academy. And I think with their eight debuts to teenagers this season, the majority of which have been forced, it has to be said, they've set a new Premier League record for the most debuts to teenagers in one Premier League season. So credit to Leeds when everyone around them has been complaining about COVID cases and injuries and absences with the African Cup of Nations. We saw, you know, Arsenal against Spurs called off at the the weekend as well due to that. And I'm sure Ridiculous we'll come on to that. Decision, yeah, by the way. I'm sure we'll come on to that when we talk about the villains, Jim. Hint. Um, but certainly, <laughs> uh, I think Leeds have to have a great credit, you know, if not the whole team for their performance. But Jack Harrison, who was the standout, scored his first senior hat trick. It's at ty- a perfect time. Go in the lead then retake the lead four minutes after West Ham had equalised and then, you know, equally eight minutes after West Ham had equalised for a second time to make it 2-2. He was on the score sheet again. So to score three goals inside an hour, your first senior hat-trick, well done Jack Harrison, well done Leeds United, proving that you can play Premier League games with young players and still get the results you want. So the odds were stacked against Leeds. They got the job done. You have to give them the award, I think, for this week. Well done, Leeds. They beat West Ham 3-2. I was talking to a Leeds United supporting friend of mine just before kickoff, and he was talking about Jack Harrison and saying how he felt Leeds had potentially overpaid for him in the transfer market. <laughs> I wonder whether his decision has changed after those 90 minutes. Not to come across as a sore loser here, because obviously, obviously I'm a West Ham fan, but I think this is where the kind of the mess around fixture congestion and cancellations is going to catch up with some teams, because West Ham should have won that game. When you looked at both teams on paper, Leeds United versus West Ham. West Ham had the better 11 going into that game. But where I think Leeds had the advantage was the seven days preparation they'd had, whereas West Ham had to squeeze in that Norwich game, which was cancelled for no fault of West Ham's. It was cancelled because of Norwich's COVID cases. And that is going to catch up more and more as we go through the season. We're going to see results maybe not quite going the way we expect, I think. Well, I'm going to kind of semi-give away my villain here because, I mean, in the running for my villain was David Moyes. And that might sound surprising, but he's turning into Jurgen Klopp a little bit. He's done a lot of complaining (laughs) the last two or three weeks and he's starting to get on my nerves a bit. 
now that West Ham have given up a bit of ground and there's been a tricky fixture run over Christmas and then they're not quite at the level they were, which is a really high bar they've set for themselves, he started to whinge. He started to complain. Why couldn't he have just stood there after the game and said, you know, I'm a bit upset with the Premier League, but credit to Leeds. They were better than us. They were better than than, than West Ham. What's grating is that lack of it being a level playing field. And like you just say, you suggested the Arsenal having a postponement, not because of COVID cases, but because they've got suspensions and players at African nations. Jurgen Klopp being able to cancel a Liverpool game because of 14 false positives or whatever the ridiculous number was. It doesn't feel like it's fair at the moment. I think that's the concern. But I don't think that's why West Ham lost the game. Jared, well, is, Jared Bowen. Has, has football ever been fair though? Because people have got more money and people have got more resources and, and all the rest of it. So That's why I'm a bit annoyed with, with David Moyes because, yes, they lost to Leeds, a team that they should have beaten. You're right. You can say that about any football match in history. But I think West Ham, yeah, maybe they should have won. But Jared Bowen trying to chest a ball in from three yards and hitting the crossbar or putting it over the top or whatever he did when he should have just headed the ball in the goal. He's missed a couple of good chances as well. Um, and Leeds United had loads of kids playing who didn't even have first-team experience. If you look at their bench, I think the the Premier League appearances between, I think, all nine players on the bench, or eight, were something like five games between them. Just remarkable, really. So I appreciate that it feels like that for West Ham and they can feel a bit hard done by. But I, I just didn't like David Moyes complaining because Leeds didn't complain. Mm. They had genuine grounds to call the game off. They didn't call the game off. They played it and they beat West Ham. So I think it made David Moyes look a little bit silly, really. Still talking about heroes, by the way. Uh, <laughs> At the moment, we're not one villains yet. Uh, Marley, who's your hero? Uh, I'm struggling with hero, to be honest. Um, I'm trying to think of... I was going to go for Jack Harrison, but he's already kind of been mentioned. But um, other than that, I, I'm honestly very much struggling. Should we go straight on to villains then? Should we go straight on to the bad guys then? That's the fun bit after all. So who's your villain, Marley, if you can't go for a hero? My villain is also very left, like very left of centre. It's not, it's not a Premier League thing. It's not a, it's not even a, a football league thing. It's this fella who's been getting on my tits for about three days now, um, Mark Molesley of Aldershot FC, who did that <laughs> ridiculous, well annoying little interview viral interview thing um if you don't know he's the older shot fc manager god knows what the league they're in national league north i think um no I sorry go watch league older shot sometimes i grew up in that part of the world oh well that explains a lot here we go um <laughs> <laughs> it's just I, I i'm kind of assuming everyone knows what i'm talking about but i don't you don't no i've not think i've seen if you're not seeing it right we're done we're done our um, that's all over Twitter basically I didn't retweet okay. it from Sports Social because I didn't want to give him the airtime. Um, <laughs> he's so basically there's this guy the thing that annoys me right it's I've been in the reporter's position where you're just you know you're a kid doing sort of uh, volunteer work so the media team at Aldershot is not going to be a full time media team so there's this guy interviewing him and he says Mark we've got Bromley in the FA Trophy on Saturday um, what are your thoughts on the game? And his response, he starts off with, if a tree falls in the woods and no one can, is there to hear it fall, does it make a noise? So, does a penguin get cold? What way does your bath water go? Clockwise or anti-clockwise? And you take the plug out. You know, These are questions which are going to be asked of us. These are questions we've got to have the answers to. And at that point, I'm just like, throwing at my laptop. Like, what is he talking about? Like, you're a 
You're a non-league manager. You're a non-league manager of Aldershot Town, Aldershot FC, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, you're talking like you're some sort of knockoff Nietzsche or whatever you whatever you think you are. <laughs> Honest to God, it just wound me up. People retweeting it like, oh, this is class. Like, how is it class? Guys are just sound, just, what is he talking about? Like, just answer the thing. Were well, you playing Bromley on Saturday? It's not It's not a frigging live or die match. You're playing Bromley in the FA Trophy. Like, no one really cares. Just say, do do your interview and go on your way and get your team ready. And then, just to sum it all up, they lost 2-0. <laughs> and they're out of the FA Trophy as well. And I was like, That's, you get what you deserve there. Just stop being, trying to be this bloody philosopher, this non-league philosopher and just get on with your job I'm going to have to go and watch that now, I think we should put a link in the podcast description for people who haven't gone to see it so far, so you can go and check it out there, Bloody hell. right wrap it up now who's the final villain, if you haven't mentioned them already that you're adding into the list no, David Moyes came close but actually it was the, the organisation that Moyes was angry at that's going to be my villain, it has to be the Premier League doesn't it for calling mm-hmm. off Arsenal against Tottenham at the weekend um, game set to be played at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Arsenal have loaned out two players this week, following Balogun to Middlesbrough and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I think, has gone to Roma. Um, two players have gone. Granit Xhaka got sent off, so he was suspended. Very few COVID cases, a number of injuries, I understand. Um, they didn't have enough players, according to Mikel Arteta and Arsenal, to facilitate the game at Tottenham Hotspur against Spurs, their North London rivals, and so applied to the Premier League for the postponement, and the Premier League granted it. Now, I don't blame Arsenal for this. This is why Arsenal aren't my villains. Arsenal are simply taking advantage of a rule which has been put in place by the Premier League, and the Premier League have set a precedent for grounds to get games called off. Now, the precedent should have been, if you have a number of players unavailable due to covid which is understandable because players have to isolate and it can spread very, very quickly. And it's still a unique thing in the game that we're trying to deal with. That is where you have grounds for a game being called off. So I totally understand that. However, if you've just sent two players out on loan, you've got one player suspended and you've got injuries, that's a product of football before coronavirus. All of those things could have happened before COVID came into play. And they would never have been able to get a game called off before COVID hit with that criteria. Obviously, you know, you throw COVID into the mix and it makes matters worse. But I think that the Premier League have now made a rod for their own back. So that's why I don't blame Arsenal, because I think any other club in that situation would have tried to get the game called off. Look at Liverpool. They tried to get the game against Arsenal called off, the Carabao Cup game. And they were granted that um, by the EFL, which, of course, is a different organisation to the Premier League. We should make that clear. So I understand David Moyes being angry at the Premier League for reasons for games being called off. Um, I think he picked the wrong battle at the weekend against Leeds because Leeds United proved that you can play with young players, get the game played, and it can still be a competitive match. And it can still be entertaining for the fans and you can still get the result you want. Now, obviously, it's not ideal and there are question marks over sporting integrity, but a lot of it boils down to luck. You know, we talk about fairness, a fair majority of it boils down to luck. So... Um, Tottenham understandably were fuming about it they knew that Arsenal were in a weakened position both sides are vying for the top four Spurs have game in ha- games in hand one of which is against Arsenal so not only if they had beaten their North London rivals would they have secured bragging rights but they also would have gained some ground in the race for the top four which is huge for a club like Tottenham Hotspur in terms of what they're trying to achieve under Antonio Conte so I understand why Spurs were fuming they released a statement about it um, but yeah my villain has to be the Premier League for 
uh, calling that game off. And now clubs will see it as um, as a precedent set and therefore people will take advantage of this. So in terms of me putting David Moyes as kind of my half villain, I understand what he was complaining about. I just think he picked the wrong battle against Leeds at the weekend. I think, you know, complaining that they've not had any games off. Well, you can apply for games off, David, if you want. And the chances are that they'll probably be granted by the evidence we've seen this weekend in North London. Um, and so therefore, I think the Premier League has to be the one where we point the finger at and say this isn't right because, you know, there's games taking place this midweek. I think there's two games on Wednesday. Leicester are playing, Manchester United are playing as well. So it's kind of how many midweeks in the season have we got left? Because in a couple of months, the Champions League will be kicking back off again. And so those teams that are in Europe that have games in hand, where are they going to squeeze them in? Are we going to be playing Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday? Is that how it's going to work? Because that's going to be ridiculous. And we talk about player welfare and that question will pop up again and that conversation will begin again. So for me, I think the Premier League has to take the, the crown or the title of villain this weekend. I think you're right. And if you look at Arsenal and Tottenham's fixtures, they've got less. I mean, both teams have dropped games over the last few months, but Spurs are now four games off the likes of Manchester City. So they've played 18, Manchester City have played 22. Where are those games going to get squeezed in? Arsenal have got 20 played, so they've dropped a couple. But still, you'd have to think that they're disadvantaging Tottenham and how their fixtures are going to pan out in favour of potentially giving the advantage to Arsenal, who couldn't fulfil this fixture properly, they felt. It's a real difficult situation that the Premier League find themselves in, and their president has been said, as you said, that could cause even further issues in terms of delays and postponements down the line. But that is our heroes and villains for the weekend. We're going to wrap up today's podcast with a load of transfer gossip, and we'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Final bit of today's podcast. We are in January. It is the transfer window. We're going to look at a couple of the rumours doing the rounds, including Manchester United's Dutch midfielder Donny van der Beek, 24 years old, currently at Old Trafford, has rejected a loan move to Newcastle, Marley, all because of the league position that Newcastle find themselves in. This is being reported in the Telegraph at the moment. I guess, I guess it's slightly different with a player coming to a club on loan when Newcastle find themselves in this position where they may get relegated to the Championship. But it is a perfect illustration, I think, of the situation Newcastle find themselves in, that they have got money, but they aren't necessarily an attractive proposition for players to go to right now. So the likes of Donny van der Beek, who wants to impress in the Premier League, don't see them as a viable option. Yeah, um... It's uh, it's it's a point, I suppose. But for for a six month loan, you're not there when you get relegated. If if that's what happens, you you go back to your parent club. So I don't. Mm. Well, well, number one, I don't believe that we've even had a loan bid in for him. Um, I don't, I'm not even sure I believe this at all, to be honest. Um, but if if let's just say it is the case, and let's say it is true, um, I don't understand what Van der Beek gains from staying at Man United other than 10 minutes here and there um, every every other week or so because like if he came to Newcastle for example like he could prove that he could cut it in the Premier League it could be like Lingard at, at, at West Ham he could just take the team to uh, to to a new level whether he keeps them up or not I don't know and it doesn't I don't think it should really matter because you can still improve your reputation 
and be part of a, a team that ends up getting relegated because that's just how that's how football is. Like sometimes very good players get relegated. Ginny Wijnaldum got relegated with with Newcastle. Scored fourteen goals in a season. Ended up moving to Liverpool, winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League, and then moving on to PSG. So there's been plenty of examples of this, but. I mean, Van der Beek, I've seen, seen at the weekend, Man United said, congratulations on making 50 appearances for Man United for, for Donny van der Beek. And I could not believe that graphic. I couldn't believe that he played 50 games for them. So I looked in the replies and stuff like that, and people were saying he's, he's played 1,800 minutes, which is just short of 20 games, full games. So his, his average appearance is 36 minutes a game. Which is just unbelievable, and you got to factor in well, in those fifty games, a lot of them, a lot of his full nineties have been cup games as well. So you're talking league. Yeah, there'll be a lot of two minutes and one minute appearances there, won't they? Coming on like the eighty ninth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, I don't know what his game is to be honest. I don't know what whether he's whether he's sticking it out and and hoping the new manager comes in in the summer and and likes him. Um, but what we're seeing right now is Solskjaer hasn't rated him, and and Rangnick isn't playing him either. So. What what are you what are you sticking around for? Because everyone agrees that he's been that he looked a better player than someone who comes off the bench for five or ten minutes or fifteen minutes every few weeks or every week or whatever it might be. So I don't really know what what his what his motivation is, but uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see because his his time's sort of running out at Man United. He's got to start thinking about his future. I think. I wonder whether it's an indication of why he hasn't performed at Manchester United, the fact that he doesn't have that drive and passion potentially to go and find game time, no matter where it is in the league. It's like, it's a difference, isn't it? It's the difference between wanting to play or wanting to collect a paycheck. Um, another interesting story connected to Newcastle. You could do both was... in Newcastle. <laughs> yeah. played your cards <laughs> yeah. right there. Very true. Um, another interesting story that's come out of Newcastle, this is being reported by The Sun, is that Newcastle are trying to get Peter Kenyon into the back room to help with the running of the club. Does that feel like a smart move to you? Because we've talked a lot about Newcastle United and the new ownership not having this heritage of knowing how to run a Premier League football club. So here you've got someone with bags of experience who potentially could be the person who steers the ship. Um, it, I mean, on the base, I don't really know much about Peter Kenyon, to be honest. Um, I know he's, he was at Chelsea for a, a lot of years and he's he's very experienced and he's been rumoured he's been around the Newcastle consortium for a long time he was linked with uh, buying the club a few years ago before the Saudis came in any sort of consortium that was linked with buying the club he was involved with um so he's he's clearly trying to get in um somewhere I don't don't know whether that's a personal gain or or whatever but um the way I the way I'm sort of looking at it from from the outside is he's run a football club before and we haven't got anyone in our club right now that's run a football club before so that does kind of make sense I think the the guys who we had running it under Mike Ashley it was Lee Charnley who was uh, basically an accountant um, kind of similar in, in sort of background to, to Ed Woodward at, at Man United um, so you're looking at that and saying that's never going to go well and you could you could tell it didn't go well because of the, the players we signed and the business we did was all was all poor and it was all for a spreadsheet rather than a team sheet. Um and Peter Kenyon might know more about, you know, running a club with long term success in in mind, um, if he does come in and be part of it. But I think anything's gonna be a, a slow process. But in the meantime, I don't think we're doing too badly 
at the minute, I think the business we've done in January has been very, very good and very swift. Um, the Chris Wood deal, nobody knew Chris Wood had a, had a release clause of 20, 25 million. So to go out and get him before the uh, the before last weekend was was really good business. So the 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 moves we're making are in the right direction. Um, there just needs to be a lot more of it to to try and keep us in the Premier League. Sticking at Manchester United, Marley, the future of Anthony Martial is being reported in the Italian papers at the moment with Juventus apparently preparing to bring him to Italy. Do you expect Martial to move in this transfer window? Because it's been a while since he's been a central figure at Manchester United. He's certainly been on the edges for a few managers now. And now he seems further away from the first team than ever. Uh, yeah, I expect him to move. He's He has to move, I think. Um, there's far too many options at Man United that he's not, he's not going to get the game time immediately, is he? So um, move, back yourself, go somewhere else. He's not uh, he's not pulled pulled up any trees at Man United really. He's he's looked really good in 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 spurts, but that's Martial all over. He, sometimes he can look amazing and put in a nine out of ten performance, ten out of ten, um, and for the next four weeks he'll give you a three or a four out of ten because he doesn't look interested. Um, he, he started off as a winger. He keeps keeps saying he wants to be a striker. Then you play him down the middle and he gets bullied out of games by centre backs because it's harder to play down the middle because two guys mark you all the time. Um, whereas on the wing you can find a bit of space if the fullback goes for a little journey um, up the pitch. So uh, for him, he has to have a fresh start. Um, Italy seems like a seems like a fit for him. I don't know whether he'd get in the Juventus team to be honest, but if they want him, they must have a plan for him. Um, so I would I would snatch that opportunity for, opportunity if I was him. How do you think his time will be remembered, Niall, at Manchester United? Because he's we still find ourselves... I mean, he's been there, what, four years now, something like that, and we're still talking about his potential as a player rather than what he's produced on the pitch. Seven years he's been there this year. Seven years? This year, it'll be seven years. Um, how will we remember Anthony Martial's time at Manchester United? If he leaves, underwhelming. He's 26 years old now, so he arrived as a 19-year-old, and I think that's important to remember. He arrived quite raw from Monaco, made a good impact. I think he scored on his debut, didn't he, for Manchester United um, at the Stratford end as well, which would have been a, a great introduction for him. But I certainly feel like he is underperformed, and whether that's due to a lack of talent, I'm not sure. Whether it's due to a lack of interest due to a lack of effort on the training ground possibly but if you think back to that 2019-20 season he scored 17 goals in 32 appearances and only one of those was from the bench so effectively you're talking about in 31 starts he scored 17 goals that's better than one in two it's a very good record in the Premier League that was not two seasons ago for some reason last season he played 22 games scored only four goals and this season's just got one goal in seven games and five of those have come from the bench. This is Premier League statistics, by the way. So if you're talking about someone who's a prolific goal scorer, Anthony Martial has never really been that. He can get into double figures in a season. He did in his first season. He scored uh, 10 goals in a campaign once. He scored nine goals in another. So he, he is able to play in the Premier League, I think, as a striker. But in terms of someone that Manchester United need... Uh, someone who needs to find the net on a regular basis. I think you probably have to be a little bit more prolific than that to be a success at Manchester United. Now, it's a hard task with the amount of strikers that United have had in the past that have been unbelievably good. Um, you just think of when 
uh, Sir Alex Ferguson was there in the 90s. I mean, players like Dion Dublin, who was a decent striker, wasn't getting a game. You know, he was a decent striker. They went and signed Andy Cole from Newcastle, who scored loads of goals. Dwight York, Teddy Sheringham, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, then Ruud van Nistelrooy. Um, you know, players like Javier Hernandez and Michael Owen were then at, um, at Manchester United a little bit later on when, you know, the, the striking department wasn't as strong. But certainly in terms of to be a, a leading striker for Manchester United, you, you know, you need to be producing a little bit more than that. Something's happened behind the scenes. Obviously, there's been some sort of fallout. Rangnick announced in a press conference about three weeks ago that Martial was able to leave the club if he wanted to. Um, and then Rangnick said ahead of this weekend's game, that's just gone uh, against Aston Villa that um, Martial didn't play because he didn't want to travel and he didn't, he didn't want to play. So Rangnick said, all right, you can stay at home and put someone else on the bench. And now Martial has put an Instagram post out saying, I've never refused to play for Manchester United. I've got too much respect for the club and the fans in the seven years that I've been here. So obviously there's been some sort of issue there that needs to be addressed. And it's hard to know who to believe. I mean, do you believe Rangnick? Do you believe... Anthony Martial that's something that will divide the United fan base I'm sure there'll be some that signed with the player some that side with the manager but I just think it's interesting that Rangnick said that he could leave three weeks ago and we didn't hear anything from him and now all of a sudden Rangnick has said he decided he didn't want to play this week so I've left him out and now he's decided to find his voice and say something maybe he feels wronged or maybe he feels like you know he doesn't want to leave Manchester United in in this way under this cloud but in terms of what he's got and the potential he's got, you're right, he's 26 and I still think that there's a player in there somewhere. I just think that maybe it's not at Manchester United. So, like you said at the start, the first question, if there's one word to describe Anthony Martial's time at Manchester United, for me, personally, uh, looking at it as objectively as I can, I'd have to say it's been underwhelming. Ousmane Dembele is apparently the replacement that Manchester United are looking at. He's coming from Barcelona. He Manchester United have reportedly moved ahead of Juventus, Chelsea and Bayern Munich in their pursuit of the 24-year-old. That's coming from the Spanish papers today. But that is it for Football Social Daily today. We'll be back tomorrow looking at the latest Premier League news and with previews of those midweek Premier League games as well. Don't forget you can check out our dugout show from Friday. Niall's speaking to Matt Jarvis and Sol Bamba on that. bit of insight into the African nations that's going on at the moment on that show. And we'll see you next time for another Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.